you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. This is Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com, thechrisvossshow.com. Welcome to the big show, my family and friends. It's wonderful to have you. As always, the Chris Voss Show is the family that loves you but doesn't judge you, at least not as harshly as your family does because, you know, you probably are the black sheep of the family or if you weren't, you probably wanted to be because the black sheep always seem to piss everybody off. So uh, we accept you and the family and you're always part of it. Unless you're like a super evil villain person that's a... horrible to other human beings we might kick you out for that but other than that uh we're always here for you and we love you uh all the time uh and what we do is in response to that love we just ask that you go to goodreads.com for chess chris voss linkedin.com for chess chris voss youtube.com for chess chris voss and uh subscribe on uh, tiktok at chris voss one uh we've been bringing you for 15 years all the smartest people the billionaires the ceos the authors the pulitzer prize winners the astronauts the people who do white house president's advisories all the great people four times a week pretty much four times a day actually on a weekday and 10 15 to 20 shows a week you can tell i'm losing my mind i can't even keep up with it all uh we have an amazing young lady on the show with us today cat cannon is on the show with us today she's the founder and ceo of radical customer experience i love customer service and customer experience and holy crap do we get back to talking about it more and everything else so we're going to do some of that today and find out how you can do better as companies you know you companies out there do better (laughs) cat is a best-selling author entrepreneur and passionate marketing expert known for building high impact customer service strategies and campaigns for ceos nonprofits, startups as well as B2B and CPG clients. As the founder and CEO of Radical Customer Experience, she specializes in trauma-informed and inclusive marketing services for which she has developed the three R's business model, an empathy-driven customer approach combining inclusive marketing, technology, and infrastructure to deepen brand loyalty based on the proprietary research-based radical human intelligence platform home of the cancel culture checkup and brand sensitivity score welcome to show cat how are you i'm great today yeah awesome absolutely awesome. <laughs> awesome uh give us your dot coms where do you want people to find you on the interwebs please yeah absolutely so um personally cat kennan on almost everything whether it's linkedin or instagram what have you the website is radicalcustomerexperience.com. Mm-hmm. There you go. And, yeah, there you go. And we mentioned a book in there. Uh, what's the plug on the book? Uh, yes. Um, I have an ebook that uh, was a bestseller in five categories about empathy in the workplace. Mm-hmm. It is called Beyond the Mask. Beyond the Mask, the lessons I've learned on empathy in the workplace. There you go. Uh, people can order that where fine books are sold. Uh, is that on Amazon? It is. 
There we go. Okay, here we go. I think I found it on the, uh, the Amazonian. Uh, so uh, tell us, uh, give us a 30,000 overview of your company and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a lifelong marketer, marketing executive. And a number of years ago, say 2018, 19, I actually had um, a couple of back-to-back -back traumas happen to mm -hmm. me and was diagnosed with PTSD at that time. Mm -hmm. And my analytical brain was still operating. And I realized that I was perceiving marketing messages very differently wow. at that time. And I knew it was in the realm of customer experience. I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do with it yet. Um, but fast forward four to five years later, and I am now teaching trauma-informed marketing, which to my knowledge is something that I'm creating, mm -hmm. uh, but teaching trauma-informed and strength-based techniques to brands, primarily consumer-facing. Mm -hmm. and. Um, yeah, it's all about empathy, which is go. so, so important. So what were, what were some of the things that you were finding in your response to marketing? Was there stuff that was triggering the traumas that you had? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think the big misunderstanding about trauma, obviously we know about it from a hospital perspective or from a vet perspective, but you know, the reality is that every single human being on earth has experienced major trauma, especially if you look at it in the lens of the pandemic, you know, 40% of us lost someone we know. That's yeah. hugely traumatic. Um, one example that I talk about a lot is the holidays or particularly Mother's and Father's Day. And if you think about it, you know, around leading up to those holidays, like every email in your inbox, every post you see, every commercial um, is just bombarding. Don't forget mom, don't forget dad. Here are the best gift ideas. And, you know, for those of us that maybe have lost a parent, it can be extremely triggering. Uh, and, but there are some brands doing um, doing really good things. Etsy is one. Ancestry did something this year where they said, hey, we know this time of year is tough for many of you. Mm -hmm. Click here to opt out of our Mother's Day messaging. Oh, wow. So I know the first time I saw that as a consumer, I had lost my mom as a first Mother's Day without my mom. Mm -hmm. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, they see me. Ah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Uh, that that makes sense. Um, yeah. you know, there's some things that they're like that. Like you know, my when I lost my father, uh, Father's Day was a little raw to see everyone celebrating in, uh, for the first uh, couple of years. Um, you yeah. know, you're still in grief for a couple of years. Um, yeah. and, and I can understand how that works, and that makes sense if you know brands, uh, you know, don't want to be triggering the traumas or or issues people have. Uh, uh, you know, for a long time, Facebook, Facebook sends you those reminders, you know, uh, if you haven't turned on, I think you can turn them off now, but they have those reminders yeah. they'll send you of like, here's your posts from like a year or two or five years ago. And, uh, it was especially triggering when I would get, um, post reminders from, oh, here's me putting my, my dog down, um, two years ago or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and if you're still in that grief phase, like, that could be a little hard to to put down now now when i see the post i'm actually uh pleasantly reminded and grateful uh that uh to be reminded of, of what uh what, what a wonderful opportunity i had to have people in my life 
but uh, it's hard, especially when you're in that grief stage. So you help brands um, deal with uh, some of these people that are having issues that, that might get triggered by certain things and stuff um, and, and, uh, and radically bring better customer service and different diversity. What does it mean to radically bring that to the thing? What, what, what's the difference between, like, say, radical vulnerability as you put it at empathy and radical authentic investment as opposed to just normal i think it's we're leveling up you know mm -hmm. it's not enough to um you know use use a popular word or something that's trending it really needs to be truly authentic and mm -hmm. You know, as marketers, we are really good at coming up with buzzwords that <laughs> that can quickly become pretty meaningless. Um, but my whole company, you know, Radical Customer Experience, from the very beginning, I really pushed and adopted this idea of taking it that next step further. Um, and so when I was thinking about what those core tenants of the business would be, um, you know, I knew vulnerability, I knew empathy. Um, you know, at first I said authenticity. And the more we got into the research, we realized authentic investment was a better fit. Mm. So it's, you know, it's companies that, you know, they're not necessarily just donating to donate or mm. participating in fundraisers just to be a part of it. They are really, really um, giving whether it's profit share or whatever it is, giving to those, you know, issues that they care about because it goes into the DNA of the company. That's authentic investment. Or really investing in their local communities, where their employees are coming from. And this doesn't mean, you know, adopting a park bench or, a, you know, a piece of the road. It really means saying investing in future workers. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you, the one thing you talk about is uh, how companies can avoid cancel culture. What does that mean? What is that about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think the last number I saw is like 40 to 50 percent of executives are terrified of being canceled yeah. um, to the point where and I don't blame them at all, but to the point where they don't really say say anything you know they're afraid to say anything publicly mm -hmm. and um but at the same time uh you know research is also showing us that over 60 percent of consumers want brands to speak up mm -hmm. you know they want them to stand up for issues and so there's a fundamental conflict there so um we put together um a little software product um called the cancel culture checkup Oh, but wow. it is it is um, essentially based around these three tenets, and um, you know now it's third party data science verified. Um, the thoughts that came from my brain to the platform are actually proving out, which is very exciting. Mm. Um, but you know it's a uh, you know psychometric based questionnaire that brands can send to their consumers whether email or social. There's also a built-in audience um, if they're looking for impartial uh, consumers. And it really is testing sensitivity. So how sensitive do your customers perceive you to be as a company? Um, and we're, it's, it's really startling. Um, mm -hmm. And 
and we're able to show sort of how each brand is positioned against average with those tenants and even subtenants and really diving down. And then the platform actually provides recommendations about what brands can do next in order to say, maybe they're doing really well and, you know, authentic investment, but not so great on empathy. So we can help, help them get there, get to the next spot. Definitely. You know, you saw that with the, the Bud Light uh, kerfuffle and it's been an expensive turnout for them. And for the first 30 days, they did, they try not to say anything. Mm -hmm. Maybe to see if they can quell it or maybe it would go away or, you know, it would just be a fad. And it almost seemed like the, the longer they didn't say anything, the worse it seemed to have gotten for them sales-wise and everything. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think in terms of PR crisis, saying nothing very rarely pays off. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's specific actually to our, our questionnaire is, um, you know, if a brand is vulnerable or radically vulnerable, um, are they admit to, are they open to admitting mistakes? Are they open to actually apologizing? And that goes a huge way, um, you know, with consumers, especially since our research is showing us that 83% of consumers, 83%, um, feel like brands do little to nothing in order to address any kind of customer service issues. Um, that's pretty astounding. Um, I know I've been brand side for the majority of my career. And if I was told that 83% of my customers weren't happy, I feel like I needed to do something about it. Yeah. Uh, there was the, who was the actor recently with his wife? Uh, he's fairly popular. He was in that 70s show. And uh, they yeah, didn't. Dana Masterson. Yeah, they did some sort of. Um, yeah, they did some sort of uh, uh, letter to a judge, and they had to. Then they had to come out and do a, a an apology. I don't know if it was any good or not, and really follow it. But I know that was an example of because they are a brand. I mean, people bought yeah. his 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 wares of acting, and and uh, and so I think some products he's involved with, or investments he's involved with, and um, and so I think everyone's a brand now, pretty much. This microphone Absolutely. is a brand. My Siberians have their own OnlyFans and. Uh, and TV show going on. Uh, they're doing a reality pilot for uh, Netflix this fall. <laughs> um, and they, they look at me and they go, we got more subscribers than you do. And we're dogs, eh? And I'm like, wow, okay. All right, I see how it goes. <laughs> um, they're Siberians. They're pretty disrespectful. But um, uh, so this is something, you know, you, met, you put a finger on the pulse. Brands need to be seen. Uh, you know, like a, a good example is what we're seeing with Disney and uh, the governor of Florida. Uh, Ron DeSantis, this this woke fight they've been in, and it's kind of interesting. And I'm, I'm I've always been kind of curious. I think I know how people in Florida see their governor for the most part, um, but I think you know Disney as a brand too is kind of like, you know, I know how much parents and children love Disney. I mean, I don't I don't have kids, so I'm not a Disney fan. I mean, but they're they're a great company. I grew up watching you know Walt Disney and the I think it would come on every Sunday or Monday night, the Walt Disney show, and it would play whatever sort of stuff was going on. I, mean, I grew up as a kid. I enjoyed it. Um, I'm just not into, I'm just not into animation anymore. Uh, I'm old. Uh, but, uh, you know, they've gotten into one, and it's kind of interesting how they're battling it. They're just they're battling it through court, and, and it seems like now Ron DeSantis is giving the mea culpa, like, okay, we're done fighting you, and, like, not really. 
Um, so that's kind of an interesting thing because they're, I don't think they really apologize for anything. They're actually going on a, on a, um, a war and, and saying, bring it on. And it's kind of interesting. The dynamics of you think about from what you're talking about, where, um, you know, I don't know, one, one brand's going to have to apologize to the other, maybe eventually, I don't know. Or maybe there's going to be a recognition by a court that says one of you is wrong. I don't know. Yeah. I think, I, yeah, I think the chances of that are probably pretty high. Um, mm -hmm. The Disney example is particularly interesting because they've always been a relatively conservative company in terms mm -hmm. of protecting their brand and, you know, what people really see sort of behind the, behind the curtain. Mm -hmm. um, they're really standing up and, you know, statistically speaking, you know, with the research consumers expect brands to stand up. Mm. And, you know, for whatever issue it is. And so, mm. you know, we see a bigger bash backlash for brands that maybe tried to stand up and then backpedal mm. than ones that just stand up and stay there. There you so, go. So that may explain some of the reasoning. That was kind of what I was trying to get to. You yeah. only get over that hump. I couldn't find the, the way to get around that mountain. But basically, so them standing up is them signaling with their brand that, hey, we support, I think it was over LGBTQ stuff, things like that. Um, and uh, and so we're we're putting up the good fight for the brand. Do you think, you think a lot of people that... Um, the support Disney are, are backing that they're like, Hey, you know, it's good that Disney's taking a stand. We support them. Yeah, I absolutely do. Mm -hmm. um, there's a report that comes out every uh, January from a huge PR company called Edelman and they do the um, brand trust report and it's a global survey that really, you know, hits the pulse on what consumers are thinking, you know, around the world. And, you know, they've, They've gotten this, you know, this data out for the last several years, and it's not changing. It's only getting stronger. There you go. Well, that's interesting. Uh, now I kind of understand that whole dynamic more because I was like, I don't know, is, I don't know if this whole fights, and I don't know if it looks bad uh, or looks good. But now that I've talked to you, I kind of understand how the signal that's coming from Disney means they're they're standing up for maybe their employees maybe they're the people that come to their uh their thing because everybody you know wants to enjoy well you know the disneyland experience and go there it's a fun place it's supposed to be it's supposed to be just a fun place i mean i've never gone to disneyland and been like hey what is that beast that's in the mountain space mountain or whatever or what is it <laughs> i don't know what, what's the What's the ice mountain or whatever the hell it's called? It's clearly I haven't been to Disney in a while. Um, <laughs> but you know what? 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 What are the little elves saying? Trying to say to me? Are there elves at Disney? I don't know. It's been a while since I've been to Disney. Clearly, there. Maybe I need to go. Um, yeah. So uh, there you go. And so companies need to take and work on is radical vulnerability, is radical empathy, and radical authentic investment really doing uh, large signals, doing doing massive signaling of, of what their uh, values are and their morals? Yeah, I, I don't think it's doing enough, but it's trending up. And mm -hmm. I think that the same companies who have been ahead on other social issues, whether it's sustainability or, you know, overall ESG efforts and even diversity and inclusion, these are going to tend to be the brands that are speaking up 
Um, they're just, you know, a bit more forward thinking. And you also see great examples of brands that, you know, the what comes from their DNA is what they talk about, whether that's Patagonia or, mm-hmm. you know, um, or similar brands like, you know, they're standing up for the environment. They're also standing up for things like voter rights. Um, but, and it's fundamental to who they've always been as a brand. There you go. Now, uh, what is the brand sensitivity score? Yeah. So, you know, in the marketing business world, there's something called the net promoter score, Mm -hmm. um, which everyone upholds as the be all end all. And fun fact, it is based around one question, which is whether or not you would recommend the brand to a friend. Mm. So while it is a predictor um, it essentially tells anyone that's on the marketing side how your customers feel on average at any given moment in time, mm-hmm. which therefore means absolutely nothing. <laughs> and in contrast, you know, our system, which, you know, then produces a brand sensitivity score, not only do you get insights across these three tenants mm-hmm. and get to compare yourselves against you know, other similar brands or whether it's demographics or psychographics of the customers taking the assessment. Um, it, it, the information it spits out at you is there's just nothing like it on the market um, in terms of insights. And, you know, these three getting behind these three tenants leading to sales. There you go. There you go. Uh, it, having, you know, the world is evolving. Consumers are evolving. Do you find that Gen Zers are more in tune to these sort of methods? I know, I know starting with the millennials, they started to care more about social uh, uh, events and brands that supported social stuff or, you know, different awareness items like climate change, et cetera, et cetera. I think Gen Z has gone to the next level with it. Do you see that uh, as one of the reasons this is, becoming such a big thing as they enter the workplace and, and market? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, definitely first with millennials and especially with Gen Z and goodness, my youngest daughter is Gen Alpha. Um, oh, wow. But, uh, you know, we're seeing more and more consumers, particularly in these two age categories, um, which is, you know, a pretty wide gamut of years, mm-hmm. um, who will walk away from a brand without a look back, right? Because of one issue, whether it was some, like a personal customer service issue that made them very uncomfortable, whether it was a post or an email or some sort of content. Um, you know, I, I, I like to say, it's not like there's a room full of marketers or, you know, um, executives that are sitting around a conference table trying to ruin people's day. Um, <laughs> at least we hope it's not. not. Right? I always, I always <laughs> said that, that look of the, they have the evil thing with the cat on their lap, <laughs> like Dr. Evil, mm, a billion. Um, but it's so easy to trigger people. And I think, um, really, um, you know, above everything else, what, you know, or above everything, what I'm trying to teach brands is to take a breath, mm-hmm. to take a pause 
and just imagine, um, you know, what it might be like if, you know, um, you, your consumer was approaching from a particular spot. Uh, there was a really, really crazy uh, situation that happened with the brand Balenciaga last fall. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's crazy. Right? With yeah. the, like, kids and BDSM gear. And um, obviously, it was wildly inappropriate. Um, yeah. But let's take it one step further. Imagine you saw that campaign and you had suffered childhood abuse. Yeah. So, you know, that's it's just like that next level. There's a lot of next leveling in this whole, um, this whole, uh, sphere, I guess. Yeah, it was, I, I remember reviewing that cause I review a lot of these marketing stuff and marketing kerfuffles. I'm always interested too. that, you know, uh, where people feel on the marketing and you're like, oh, why did that feel? Um, what were the reasons behind it? Cause you know, you don't want to step into some of those things, but that was a really interesting thing is what was going on with that. And I kind of, <laughs> kind of wonder about the owner of that company or whoever yeah. is setting those up. Um, and I think some trying to normalize certain things uh, to bring them into the sphere of, well, that's normal. Um, I don't know. There was some weird, there was some weird motivation behind that. At least that was my perception. Um, in your book, Beyond, Beyond the Mask, the lessons I learned in, on empathy in the workplace, uh, do we want to tease out some of the different aspects of that? Yeah, so, um, you know, you, you get a lot of personal anecdotes from me, but um, it's woven in with research. And I really give pretty step-by-step -step guides on how companies can create psychologically safe workplaces, trauma-informed workplaces, which is sort of the next level up. Again, what I guess it's a theme on this conversation about leveling up, but you know, there are simple principles that companies and families, I do this at home too, um, you know, don't interrupt people. When you interrupt someone, you are literally telling them that their opinion doesn't matter, their feelings don't matter, you're completely invalidating them just because, you know, you've interrupted. And I know that's something I will forever be working on because I get so excited. It's like everything explodes out, right? Mm -hmm. um, but again, it's like, take a pause, let someone finish, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and then speak. There you go. We try and do that show. People will say, will say that to me a little bit. I like your show about how you try not to interrupt people. Um, and I'm like, yeah, cause I'm interested in hearing what they have to say. I don't, I've heard enough of my crap, unless I'm trying to get a joke in. There's sometimes where I've got to jam a joke in, and they've someone said something where there's just a great joke for it. And I think uh, in my earlier uh, show today, I, I interrupted somebody three times, but they they left such a good mark for jokes. I'm like, hey, I got to get this joke in here. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, and they they were funny. So um, that's usually the ones I'm like I can't let this get away. But yeah, we try and we try and let people talk on the show. Is there a point though? Um, let me let me play devil's advocate. Um, is there a point there where you know where we're trying to address too many people's issues and traumas? Um, you know, I mean, I I could see if I if as a brand, let's say as a brand, I'm. I'm like, okay, let's let's stress people's potential traumas. It, you know, we have these things in the workplace now, microaggressions. Um, you know, it seems to be getting more and more nuanced as to 
how you can offend someone, hurt their feelings, or I mean, it just seems to be anytime you can hurt someone's feelings or, I mean, you're not even trying to hurt their feelings. They're just going to trigger it in some sort of thing that they have about whatever, and they could be traumas. I mean, it's, it, there's a point where you could just lose your mind in this, where it could be a bucket full of 500 things you'd have to do or an endless amount of things you could do because so many people are various and different. Is there a point where it's like, okay, what point is it sane and what point does it reach an insanity where you can't function uh, as a brand? Yeah, no, that's absolutely a good point. And, you know, something that I've been thinking about and, and I guess combating uh, since the beginning of the business, but I think sometimes when people first hear about the idea of trauma-informed marketing, it, it is daunting and it can seem overwhelming, but that doesn't mean that you're tailoring every piece of content or campaign for literally like every single issue that someone's experienced. Yeah. Like that is unsustainable, not scalable. Um, but more than anything, it's let's just take a pause. Let's just, you know, even if you're taking, say, the top 10 things, right, in terms of major traumatic experiences, it could, yes, it could be losing someone, a friend or family. It could be a health issue. It could also be changing jobs or moving homes, right? Mm -hmm. Things that people don't necessarily think is this big, massive trauma, but can be very, very triggering. And, you know, in terms of the workplace, I'm sure all of us and everyone watching, listening has been in that meeting where one of their coworkers just has a meltdown hmm. and you were like, I don't know what just happened, but I'm confused and puzzled. And the reality is they probably did have a trauma reaction, hmm. but the thing about trauma is that it's always underneath um, it's, you know, anger is a secondary emotion. So for most of those people that have that moment, it's not about anything that was said in the room. It's not even as simple as, Hey, they had a fight with their partner the more in the morning. It's, it's something so much deeper. And the majority of the time when you've had a trauma reaction, you don't even know that you've had one. Um, and if you figure it out, it's much you know, much down the road after the fact. Um, and so that's something also just to keep in mind is that, you know, it's not like you'll have a list of customers and I can say external customers or internal customers, you know, your employees. It's not like everyone's just going to sign a drop down or put a drop down menu of what their triggers are. It's just, yeah. it's not that obvious. Um, yeah, but certainly just take a moment. And if someone has something like that happen, there has to be a way back in. There um, you go. Maybe, um, I mean, I, I remember after COVID I was, uh, people were saying, and I think I was saying we all need to have like, uh, a major psychiatrist therapy after COVID. Um, you know, you mentioned how people had lost during COVID. Um, I have relatives still suffering from uh, long haul COVID and probably always will in their life. It probably shortened their lifespan. Um, and uh, I think I, I think the average thing they figure with long COVID, it's shortened people's lifespan by probably 10 years. Uh, 
but uh, maybe we all need uh, some psychology after this. Would would a good thing to do is in companies you know, maybe address the people who have traumas by suggesting uh, people address their mental health, go see psychiatrists, go get mental yeah. help. Uh, I know mental health is really important for people that have suffered traumas and actually doing the work with the psychiatrist. Um, maybe this more of this could be resolved that way as opposed to just trying to dance around people's traumas. Yeah, absolutely. I do think there's like a benefit or benefits perspective because mm -hmm. honestly, a lot of mental health care is not covered by insurance. Mm -hmm. um, you know, almost, I don't know, maybe it's just New York specific, but I don't think so that, um, you know, most psychiatrists no longer take insurance mm -hmm. and, you know, you can't blame them <laughs> because they need to make a living deal. Unfortunately, they're all solo practitioners. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, there's certainly companies that could step up there. Um, yeah. you know, and there's always like emergency, like access, you know, typically there's a plan like that with most people's insurance. But um, I think one of the biggest things uh, companies can do is to bring in training about trauma and being trauma informed and how to pick out right when someone might be having a trauma reaction because like I said it's kind of undercover a lot mm -hmm. you know it's not and you know while you want to be vulnerable and have empathy and you want it to go both ways right um you know, someone might not be comfortable sharing, might not even be aware of how damaging or damaged or triggered they might be. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think um, being able to have like some really committed training around what trauma can look like at work mm -hmm. is really, really critical. There you go. Uh, and, th and that's kind of what I was alluding to. Yeah, maybe maybe we do need to amp up uh not only health insurance, but mental health insurance. I mean, I've been working in companies with or with at, or at companies all my life, and and <laughs> look, I'm like, you need some mental help. Um, in <laughs> fact, most people who've been watching the show for 15 years, are like, you need some mental help. Uh, the show is the mental help I get, uh, where all the great people come on and educate me, make me smarter, um, which actually has worked. Actually, uh, I know most people are like, no, he's still fucked up, um, which is probably true. Uh, but, uh, no, maybe we need to invest more in mental health. Uh, maybe we need to have more programs for that. Uh, you know, address people's traumas. You know, I, I, we've had a lot of people on the show, uh, doctors, scientists, uh, everybody and from the gambit talking about traumas and traumas, you know, they carry for a lifetime, uh, yeah. especially if they're not addressed. And, um, so many people in youth, they'll experience traumas and they'll drag it through their whole life and you can see what it makes. I mean, I've, I've had that with my own life. Um, and you wake up at, at you know, 20, 30 years down the line and you go, wow, I should have gotten that fixed. Uh, I shouldn't get that looked at. Um, and so, yeah, maybe more people in the workplace, you know, you've given me the idea and realizing, and I think I probably already operate from this aspect when I look at people and I go, there might be some trauma there, what's going on. Um, but as a leader, having people in your workforce, your team, or, you know, people in your life environment, um, you can look at them and go, I think there's some trauma with this person. I probably should identify it and maybe, see what see if there's ways that i can be either sensitive to it or 
help them deal with it or you're trying um you know just just uh not trigger it i suppose um you know i i had a friend one time that his brother had committed suicide and um i had i'd forgotten about it you know i wasn't paying attention i think i was it was up late one night and somebody had uh, sent me a video of, of someone jumping in front of a train in New York. And I shared it with him, not even thinking. Um, and I was like, holy crap, look at this. This is shocking. And this is in the early days of the internet. And he was really triggered and very upset, and rightly so, because I'd forgotten that his brother had committed suicide. And, you know, some stuff like that that, that uh, I was well aware of. And uh, he, you know, at least he told me the story once. Um but, you know, ended up triggering a friend, and certainly it didn't mean to. It, it should have been more thoughtful on my part, but, you know, um, it, was just, it was just one of those mistakes people make and not intentional. But uh, that was an example of somewhere I could have done better. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also, so I can't remember if I said that, but uh, during the pandemic, I went back and I got a certification in being a trauma-informed professional. So. Mm-hmm sharing my own experiences with the marketing expertise, but really understanding what's happening in our body and in our bones. And, um, you know, I, th- I think the, the popular book now for years is the body keeps the score. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and boy, does it ever, but current research is actually showing like, this is astounding statistic. Even though I talk about it all the time, I still can't quite believe it, but we are all carrying up to 14 generations of trauma, literally in our DNA. Wow. So, you know, even for someone that has had like the most perfect life or perfect childhood, um, which, you know, let's be honest, none of us have had, mm-hmm. we're still carrying, it means literally in our bones, um, and our DNA, um, you know, we're carrying that. And especially when you meet someone that's experienced a lot of trauma and you recognize them as someone who is breaking a cycle, whatever that is, right. Mm-hmm. Whether it's, uh, substance abuse or violence or combination thereof, poverty, right? Like they are sort of one stemming that tide and they are then affecting the following 14 generations. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, so I definitely give honor in that area, but, you know, and thinking back to the pandemic, like the real traumatic effects of the pandemic is not even going to be in our lifetime, right? Yeah. It is literally now going to be passed down in our DNA. Hmm. That's um, yeah. There you go. Uh, so as we go out, give us your final thoughts and pitch to people to come do business with you, pick up your book, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's time for businesses to step up and do better. And, you know, a great way to start is, you know, why don't you start with your own customers and see, you know, how they're, how you're landing with them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, head on over to the website, radicalcustomerexperience.com. Check out what I do. Check out those, the software options. You know, I'd be thrilled to answer any questions, walk anyone through the platform. And, you know, I am here to help. Like, honestly, our mission at RCX is to change the face of marketing by teaching empathy. But our big overarching vision is really, really to 
stop and slow down the mental health crisis that we are all in. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the purpose behind the business. Um, changing marketing is just, it is the entryway, <laughs> is the way we're getting there. So. There you go. Uh, well, you know, it's more than just about selling widgets, people. Uh, it really is. So thank you very much, Kat, for coming on the show. We certainly appreciate it. Oh, I was thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. Thrilled to have you as well. Great message. And I think I've learned a few things and, and, uh, and as a leader start thinking about, uh, you know, how I address people in my teams, if there's trauma, you know, like, like you're right. Maybe if there is a crisis at work, maybe it's just not sending them to HR and firing them for having an outburst. Maybe it's trying to figure out what's at the core of their issues. Folks, you can order the book wherever fine books are sold beyond the mask. The Lessons I've Learned on Empathy in the Workplace. Uh, it came out September 7th, 2023. Uh, order that up wherever fine books are sold. There's a, there's a great prime sale going on in, in a day or two. People watching this 10 years from now are going, what the hell? Um, <laughs> prime day two is in a couple days. So you get a chance to order that up as well. And of course, order the books given away for your family and relatives. You know, you may know some people have some trauma in your family. We always kind of joke about on the show about, about the some of the people in people's family. Uh, you know, coming up, you've got uh, all the holidays there. So maybe this might be a good book to give to some people uh, that you know that uh, are always the problem people over at uh, Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner or Christmas dinner whatever you know those people are and if you don't know who those people are it's probably you <laughs> ask me how i know because it's me thanks for tuning in everyone be good to each other stay safe and we'll see you guys next time and that should